0: Good luck. Puts on the step, goes right through, puts on the step again, oh, go no, Freddy. that was magnificent stuff, well, they shall not believe them. Marshall skips away, Marshall skips away, Marcel's still going. Mullins opens up again, oh,
1: look at him go, he beats O'Bavis on the outside. Hello and welcome to a very wonky, weary-legged start to the voluntary tackle the only NRL podcast prepared to sell Todd Byrne's boots to Novak Djokovic in the hope it will make the tennis ace much slower. Today on the show, we're not entirely sure what we'll talk about, but you can bet it will be a heady mix of rugby league, World War II dictators, all rolled into an 80s sitcom smelling souffle. I'm your host, Eamon Brown, and while the show waits for Xander Rosotto to be officially deported from Italy to rejoin the team... We're becoming a duo tonight, and one more powerful than Tonya Harding and the bloke she paid to bash Nancy Kerrigan. A big warm, how are you going, to my main man, manly man-mate, Mario. Sorry, I was trying to think of another M-word and I couldn't. How are you going?
0: Well, M-words are better than N-words, so I think you chose the right the right um, consonant anyway.
1: That's right. I will never, ever, ever say the words Nelly Furtado on this podcast. I've drawn a line. I'll never do it. Because uh, I think it's offensive, frankly. Because
0: she might eat you?
1: No, because she'll fly like a bird again. And, oh, uh, okay. No one wants that. How, I tell you what, she is one of those artists for me, Maria. Yes, I'm going on an early tangent. Uh, that should never have been famous and was extremely famous for about three months. And that was three months too long, as far as I'm concerned. Fly Like a Bird was one of the worst songs you could ever create. In fact, I'm pretty sure I saw it listed as one of the torture devices at Guantanamo Bay. That's how bad it is. It is up there with your Barry Manilow's, which, I don't know if you've read, was recently used by the New Zealand military to disperse a protest of about 14
0: peace-loving really hippies. The really funny bit about that was, of course, James Blunt offering to put out new music to try and disperse them. And he is an absolute gun on Twitter. His music's terrible, but his Twitter form is incredible. And you are talk, talk about Nelly Furtado... You say that, that I'm Like a Bird was a terrible song, but her, the follow-up single was worse, Turn Out the Lights. Someone should have bloody done that to her.
1: I know. Just flick the switch and let her flatline. That's I, if, if she actually put a song out, a third one, which was essentially a, a metaphorical version of her own musical death, I probably would have listened to that incessantly. Uh, but because she never did that and continued to make albums, I continue to hate her.
0: Fair enough. I mean, she was eminently hateable, so I think we're on the Mm. same page.
1: I'm with you with James Blunt, though. That man is a legend, although I can't agree with you on all of his music. I actually like some of it, so much so that I've actually been to a live performance at the Horden back in the mid-noughties. That's right. I was a bit of a rebel back then. I really saw a lot of the risque bands um, (laughs) as a youth. (laughs) I was in the James Blunt mosh pit, if you believe and um, you know, he actually had some, some pretty good songs about anti-war, some
0: good political messages, Mario. And so I was moshing to Grinspoon and Pennywise and the Meanies and uh, you know Magic Dirt and such. And you were you mm. were bopping away to James Blunt's, probably with tears streaming down your face. I imagine.
1: Definitely, and I did hang in for a bit of Craig McLaughlin and Chick One too, just to finish me right off. But look, but I know... old uh,
0: shout-out. That used to be from the old intro, didn't it? A bit of mention of Craig McLaughlin and Check 1, too.
1: Felt like I had to throw it in. Well uh, done. Especially now that he's... Well, he hasn't been vindicated, has he? But um, I was going to say, he's, been, he's, a, he's a free man now. He was never arrested.
0: What about his singing? Uh, a bit of Haymona, A bit of fan of that one, were you? Well,
1: I'll tell you what I only found out recently, Mario, because I spend a lot of my spare time pursuing the sort of naff reality of history. Uh, which is a peculiar interest that no one else pursues, which is why I do it, because I want to stand out. And I found out that uh, his only hit song, Mona, was originally a Rolling Stones song. Did you know that?
0: I knew it was like a 60s or 70s song. I didn't know who did it, to be honest.
1: It was only the fucking Rolling Stones. <laughs> and here I am as an idiot in the fucking 90s, as bopping around as a 10-year-old going, yeah, this song's all right, when really... All he's done is stolen it off the stones. I know he probably paid them a royalty. I'm not saying he's a plagiarist. But what I'm saying is his whole career is known for a song that he didn't create. So not only is a one-hit wonder, he's a one-hit
0: plagiarist. I mean, that almost happened to Shannon Knoll, didn't it? I mean, how many people remember the moving pictures these days? Not many. Whereas you hear the song, What About Me? People would instantly associate that with Shannon Knoll.
1: Exactly, and they particularly associate the song Drive with Shannon Noel because he's done a number of hit and runs while he's been pissed off his tits. <laughs> so, um, you know, that's the funny thing about music. It does sort of stick to the artist in that way or in the way that a, a poor pedestrian would stick to his bumper bar depending on what hour of the night it is. But look, I know we're drifting. We're, we're a rugby lead podcast, Mario, and we need to give the punters what they want. It's been a little while. i got to say I'm a bit rusty. And that's not just to do with the osteoporosis between my knee joints. Uh, A little bit rusty because, you know, it's been the off-season and uh, uh, it's been quite a long one, to be honest with you. The Big Bash hasn't been uh, making me as aroused as I'd like it to be. Uh, Normally I sit there between overs and I'm I'm relatively hard, uh, but not so much this season. So I've been really looking forward to the rugby league. Um, So I've been trying to catch up and dose up on it as much as I can, trying to get the really big injections in, a bit like I'm Heath Ledger, uh, with heroin playing the Joker. I'm really just taking in too much of it, uh, I'm trying to OD on it. Um, so it, it has been a little bit difficult for me. Um, and the, the result of that is I haven't really got a schedule for us today. So I thought what we'd do is I'd bring up articles on the fly and we could just talk about them live in a very TVT fashion. And I am going to let you get a word in edgeways. But before I do that, Murray, I need to do a bit of a tradition because I need to... There we go. Just open up another can of Great Northern, which I'm only having one tonight because it is a weeknight. And also I'm coming back from a bout of gastro. So this could be a podcast version of suicide happening in front shout of our eyes or in front of our ears.
0: A special <laughs> shout out to Lion Nathan if they're wanting to sponsor the podcast where, mm. where our bank our bank books are open.
1: That's right. We're open to all offers, all brands, uh, even if you're a nefarious Chinese state-owned brand. At this point, uh, just trying to pillage people's data uh, in search of world domination. We're we're a humble Rugby League podcast, but we will take any currency. Um, Look, Rugby League, I want to start with you, Mario. Huge Manly fan. I say this every time, but I don't know if you saw this. The Tommy Trebojevic calendar is out. Uh, He features in all 12 months. I want to know, have you bought it? And if so, which months have you come the most on?
0: I have to admit, I have not bought it. I got rather excited by the idea of just looking at his effort base in 12 different angles. (laughs) But (laughs) I probably won't stick it up on my wall because my wife, of course, might then decide she has to leave me.
1: So this is just for fear of a marital breakdown, you can't let your complete homage of Tommy Turbo flow out of your loins. That's a shame.
0: Oh, it's more, that it's more me knowing I can't compete to his absolute perfection.
1: Do you think that you try to use the same effort faces during intimate moments with your wife, for example? Do you think that it is the effort face that takes his rugby league game to a new level? Because I thought it was more about his athleticism and sheer talent.
0: No, I mean, sure. I think what we should do is we need to do some sort of a scientific test on this and try, you know... A bit of sex without any sort of facial expressions, and then go full Tommy Turbo, and see if we're suddenly the goat.
1: I'm sure your wife would be so into that. Just the the shape shifting from absolute no expression, just gormless <laughs> rapist, into an effort Tommy Tравиевич. I mean, some might call that foreplay, but I think that's fucking grounds for divorce. Frankly,
0: oh, role-playing. <laughs> that's, that's popular, isn't it?
1: <laughs> I can see you putting on the. I'm not. I'm not seeing anything. I promise. I'm not even visualising it. Um, look for the record, Mario. I did something foolish. I did. I looked at the Tommy Turbo calendar. I thought I should buy that for you. Actually, uh, instead, I walked out with the Brendan Elliott version. I got completely ripped off. Um, it's just twelve months of him struggling to get back on side. I I'll never get my eight dollars fifty back. Look, I'm sorry, one, but, but I
0: am not here for Brendan the Brave slander. Uh, until he puts on a Cowboys jersey, he is. He is absolute top-tier Brad Parker-esque.
1: Now, you have to be honest with me here, because I know you've expressed on the podcast before your admiration for Brendan the Brave, hence the nickname, uh, sort of equating him to some kind of blue-faced Scottish hero, which is (laughs) certainly a giant leap from the rugby league game that (laughs) I've seen from him. Um, But tell me, is your admiration really born out of what he's brought to your team, or is it the sheer courage of having the audacity to enter a game full of athletes and not being one himself. I knew it. I absolutely (laughs) knew it. Um, Look, we should talk about our third compadre, Xander Rosado. Big shout out to you, Xander, who at the moment I think is rowing a one-way economy ticket back from Italy. I want to get your opinion on this, Mario. We know that he's been over there. He's been boring people with rugby union constantly. Uh, That's his real mission. He's like a missionary, you know, the same way that the Christians did with the Pacific Island nations all over the world, really. I I feel like Xander's mission is to do the same thing, converting people uh, to the boring game of rugby union. Should Australia make an apology on behalf of Xander's trip there? Because I've got to say, I already see some fallout happening in some of the cities he's been to. People feel more lethargic. uh, They're more switched off mentally. Um, there's more cases of long COVID, which I don't know if that relates to what he's doing, but certainly doesn't help. Do you think Australia should make an apology?
0: Well, you jest, and yet I did was just reading on Twitter, so it may or may not be true, because I don't care enough yeah. about rugby to, to fact-check, but I read something suggesting that Italy have been booted out of the Six Nations and to be replaced by South Africa. Now, the timing of Xander going over to Italy talking about rugby and him being so boring while he talks about rugby that all of a sudden everyone in Italy has realised, oh, shit, this is boring. We don't want to play anymore. Let's just pull out of the Six Nations and let them have South Africa instead. So what you're saying is his plans
1: backfired. He's gone there to cement rugby union's reputation in Italy, and he's actually got the whole country kicked out of the Six Nations because everyone's aborted their fandom of the sport. I tell you, if that's true, Mario, that's making me a very, very happy man.
0: And perhaps all this time we thought he was a rugby fan. He's actually a double agent for rugby league. And now there's a huge opening in Italy for rugby league to become a popular sport.
1: Yeah. And unfortunately all of those nude shots of Robbie Farah was never going to be enough. Although he's not Italian, is he?
0: (laughs) No, he's not. Tedesco would be the better he's, choice there. Yeah,
1: I know. God, that sounds racist. It's a shame. It would have been a good joke, but um, it'll have to it'll have to leave. No, you're right. He could be the Manchurian candidate of rugby league. I certainly hope that's true. Surely,
0: I just had a thought on that. Given hmm. that rugby league was destroyed in France by Hitler during World War Two, it shout out to World War Two. You mentioned it earlier that we were going to bring it up. Well, given that we're about to enter World War Three, surely Peter Valandis has got some sort of in with vladimir putin so that when old mate vlad takes over europe in the next couple of years he can decide Mm. to destroy rugby and make rugby league the foremost sport and i think that's only fair given the way you know hitler Mm. helped rugby the first time
1: well it is an interesting thought isn't it Uh, the rugby league expansion move i mean i'm an expansionist i want to see more rugby league teams in the nrl for example i want to see more countries playing rugby league and potentially aligning the sport with the world's most evil dictators just could be the wave that we need to be on. Um, If you're willing to cede away morals, and I assume we are because we've let Greg Bird play before, um, Mm. I think it's something that we should be thinking about. Um, Obviously, Putin would be at the top of the list. Um, I think you've got to, you know, see if you can get in the pocket of Xi Jinping, maybe see if he can release some Uyghurs uh, to make a reserve grade A-League team. Uh, Look, half of Africa is full of despots and they're great athletes. I think they'd be very good rugby league players. So what about Kim Jong-un?
0: Yeah, he could be perhaps, you know, the, the world's greatest rugby league player. I'm sure he would tell his people that was the case.
1: Look, I'd love to see Kim Jong-un just take a hit up in an Origin match. Um, he's got that robust frame that I know would look good in motion, especially when he was ironed out uh, by someone like George uh, Josh Papalihi. I was going to call him George Safua. I told you I haven't watched the game in a while. Um, Yeah, no, it would be interesting to see a world dictator actually play the game. And I don't know if you know this, uh, I do follow a lot of his propaganda channels online, Kim Jong-un. And the number of sporting claims that that man has made, that his country has led to believe is true, is amazing. Um, Apparently, he is the world's number one golfer. Um, They circulate the rumour in North Korea that... Uh, Kim Jong-un has played a lot of the, you know, the links courses around the world. He's got to hold some Guinness World Record for uh, the number of holes in one. Um, and and I, I loved this one until the ending. I didn't love the ending. But um, when North Korea made the World Cup a few years ago because of the very slanted and inadequate qualifi- qualification system, um, when North Korea ended up getting slaughtered by, I think it was Brazil or Germany. Um they were down about 6-0 and North Korea, had, for the first time, was broadcasting the tournament. Uh, Kim Jong-un had the tournament shut off uh, after they were down 6-0. Six, six and he just told the public, we won. And they're like, my God, we came back and won the game. He goes, no, the tournament. We won it. <laughs> oh, really? Who scored? Don't worry, no details. Don't need to. We just won it and let's never fucking talk about it again. And by the way, you'll never see any of the players who played in that team again either. Don't ask questions about oh, that either. Stoned, Because stoned. they were not, as you can imagine, treated with a red carpet ceremony at the airport, Mario. Look, I don't know how we've drifted here. We should go back to rugby league trials, Mario, because they've been on. And look, I'm not going to ask you to sit here and recount a blow for blow for our listeners about uh, you know what, how the trials went and the scores, because the truth is, I know you probably haven't watched all of them. Neither have I. I've watched, I think I've watched about 60%, which I think is pretty standard for a rugby league fan. Not a podcast. Obviously, they're more emphatic and usually watch everything. But for us, it sort of suits our mould, I think, to just sort of watch most of it or some of it. Um, so instead, I just want you to give me your takeaways. Did you notice anything from any particular match that you thought, oh, that's going to be an interesting note to remember for the season ahead?
0: Oh, I think we can agree that Souths are doomed just based on the fact that they lost a the trial. That means they're done, and we're both we both can be quite happy about that.
1: Yeah, um, I agree. It
0: was it was interesting the way some teams trotted out their stars, and the way some didn't. It was clear that some teams just didn't care. But the, I do think mm. the Adam Reynolds' injury is quite interesting up in Brisbane. I mean, they they with him, you feel like they could. At least threaten the top eight. If he doesn't play, they're right back down to you know bottom cup, bottom two spots. As far as I'm concerned, so interesting to see if he is out for how long. Um, I'm a little concerned that Manly didn't get flogged by the Tigers by fifty because you know that led to us having a pretty decent year last year. The fact that we beat them pretty comfortably—it's probably a bad sign. So
1: you thought you might have been onto something last year by yeah. sort of coming out and being deliberately shit for the first six weeks.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's all about timing your run. You know, a, a mm. fit and healthy Tommy at the start of the year. I'd rather he be healthy at the end of the year if I had to choose one of them. <laughs> so we'll just see. If he can. If we can get a whole year out of him, then, you know, he might be able to be even better than last year because I do think our team is a little bit better. We've got a, a few young players have joined us and we haven't really lost anyone that we didn't want to lose. So that's a good sign. I think East are the big, scary sight in terms of all those injuries they put up with last year and were still good. And, you know, what the hell are they going to do without, if they can avoid the injuries and if Radley can stop, you know, channeling his inner Luttrell and trying to take people's heads off?
1: Obviously with Tommy, we'll start there. I mean, as long as that guy doesn't undertake any aggressive calisthenics in the shower again, he's probably going to be fine. Or, But I, I, like, I actually want to start with that first point you made, which is the approach to trials. And you're right, it's really interesting the club versus club, how some have clearly come out to use as a genuine dry run for round one, while others have used it as a forum to to have a look at some young guys that we probably won't see this year or maybe even next year. Um, and so as a viewer, I didn't know probably 35 40% of the players that I watched during the whole trial round. But I think the most impressive game for me was – the Brisbane Titans game. If, if I was to have one takeaway, it would be that both of those Queensland teams are back. And we know that Queensland have been in the doldrums in the NRL in the last couple of years, uh, coming from their their sort of high Cameron Smith period um, to this rebuild phase. I really liked what I saw. I know that they both those teams brought out stronger teams than a lot of the others did for the trials, but I thought the, the shapes for the Broncos were completely different to what we've seen in the last couple of years. Um, I thought the, in in the commitment to defense was completely different. Um, We actually saw some variation in attack, which, you know, we should be seeing more of from every club. Um, But I thought clearly Kevin Walters has gone away and I've been one of his biggest critics, to be honest. I didn't know. It's a big test for Kevy on whether or not he has the chops to be a first grade Regular first grade coach. I think he could. I thought I'd always had the impression that he could get away with being a rep coach, which is a very different gig. Um, just trying to whip a bunch of talented players up for a really limited time is a completely different skill set, as opposed to all of the culture and development aspects that you have to deal with on a week-to-week basis, um, as well as the intense, not, never-ending, media scrutiny, etc. But I really liked what I've what I saw. From that team and i feel like he's really sat down and gone from square one again in the off season and and i we had this comment on the show last year but brisbane were definitely one of the big improvers in the back end of the season they were starting to show more metal they were starting to show more creativity it just didn't come in time they were ordinary for most of the season um so i thought there was something to build on there going into the off season and from what i've seen from only the one trial game uh, i really liked it and it's probably a little bit of a backstory there with the Titans as well, because there's been a lot of tit for tat going on in the off season regarding poaching and chasing players. So in a way that trial felt a whole lot more like an NRL first grade game and less like a trial because it felt personal.
0: I think with those two teams, there's a few positions still up in the air that we're not a hundred percent sure where people are going to play. So I think the trials were certainly a case for both those teams of, Let's move things around. Let's try different things and see who looks like they're fitting with whom, and mm. give ourselves an idea. Same goes for teams like probably the Dragons. You'd say the Raiders just because of that Harley Smith Shields injury, they probably then were forced to play a few players here and there. Like having Charred Nickel Clockface in the centres was not exactly what we would have expected, but they got you know Xavier Savage looking really good at the back, and so he was there,
1: impressive, wasn't he?
0: Yeah, there's a, there's a few there's a few positions like that. So will that be the case round one? Will Xavier Savage be the guy at number one, or is he still actually going to sit and wait? We don't know, Mm. but I think because he was impressive enough, that gives, I think that'll give Ricky a bit more opportunity to then experiment with um, Klukstad, just be knowing that he is, he's a a good quality player. So if you put him somewhere else, you're at least going to get, you know, uh, um, an amount of professionalism and effort out of him that, you can't be guaranteed you're going to get out of some unknown factor.
1: You've just cut out, Mario.
0: Yeah, Klugstad offers a bit of professionalism that you're not going to get from some random person. At least you've got, it's more of a known quantity. You don't want to start round one with six, seven brand new players all trying to work themselves out. If you can have a bit more stability to let a few new players come in and shine with a bit more confidence of what's around them, I think that's... What most smart coaches would be looking for to start round one. I mean, not everyone wants to win every single round one the way Bellamy does. I mean, everyone, sorry, everyone wants to win, but I think Mm. a smart coach knows that it's not that big a deal if you lose round one. You want to win, Mm. you know, in October more so than in March.
1: Well, I mean, Madge has the inverse tactic. He tries to lose round one just to start that platform. Going backwards early, but we won't go there uh, because I know it'll enrage Big T. So we can, we're not going to go there just yet. But um, look, I think I agree with you. And I think that Ricky could be even using the Savage Clockstar um, sort of battle there. As I think it's important to have players breathing down, even established players next, just to, to get the best performance out of them. And it's probably a good thing for Chance to know that there is a ready replacement for me at number one if I drop my, my bundle a little bit or if I'm, you know, if I'm not at my best. So just to keep even the established players as motivated as possible. And clearly that, I mean, Xavier Savage, I, I loved what I saw. Had an Absolute athlete, um, skills to burn, amazing footwork as well, but still very raw bone. I mean, the guy made probably three or four errors at the same time. So I don't think Ricky's legitimately thinking, oh, I wonder if this will displace chance from the starting lineup in round one but it's a great shadow player to have there or to inject somewhere, say, off a 14 or in another area in the backs. But at the same time, psychologically, I think it's just really important to have these kind of players just nipping at the heels of the established players and that having that depth. And that's probably something that Canberra have suffered from last season.
0: There's been so much movement in the, the lower grades all over the place that it's it's going to be very interesting coming around 3-4 when a few injuries, a couple of COVID cases, kick in and stuff like that and teams mm. are forced to find a little bit of depth where they're not really expecting to have to yet. It, yeah, it'll be really interesting. Yeah. I know what I know yeah. what my team's got in there, but I don't know so much what every other team has got waiting outside their first 17, 18, 19 players.
1: Yeah, I think that's a brilliant point. And I think that this season will be marked by depth. I think it, it almost has to be, right? Forget about injury tolls, which have ravaged the competition over the last two or three seasons alone, but particularly the tricolours, but we won't go there either. But just the COVID situation, like the fact that there are very likely to be, you know, cohorts of players isolated for periods of time, the depth of squads is going to mean a hell of a lot. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, having the NRL added even additional spots now to the squads for that very reason, the fact that they're anticipating disruption,
0: yeah, there was certainly talk of that happening. The, the 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 silly thing is that you know COVID is effectively about to be ruled as just the flu in, in terms of uh, policing it, managing it, and everything else from a governmental point of view. But the NRL is going to have this really strict rules which have not been well received by players or by most people, I would say. Um, mm. Just basically expecting the players to just live in isolation almost permanently and I know they I believe it was just this week they relaxed those rules a tiny bit said they're allowed to go out with one other player to it to the movies and to restaurants but you can't go in big groups something along those lines to try and limit the spread because I suppose even if you say oh fine it's just the flu but if it's the flu that people are going to get more often and are going to be put out of the game frequent relatively frequently compared to the fu- the regular flu where you know maybe having a decent immune system will may- allow you to avoid that anyway to some degree um, you know may- maybe it is probably quite smart And maybe the difference between the, the best teams and the worst teams this season might have more to do with how much the players buy into to those rules and abide by them if you get a you can't see a team like the dragons abiding by those rules based on the whole barbecue thing they don't give a fuck you know. <laughs> They're just going to do whatever the yeah, hell they want. you had want. to go there. You can't resist. And you know all the anti-vaxxers in Canberra. Although Manly have got a few, I'm sure most teams have got a few. Even if they've all been forced to go and get vaccines, a lot of them, I believe. Even uh, the suggestion is that like uh, uh, Nelson Asopa Solomon has got his now. Unknown about Jason Taumalolo. Uh, I think um, CMK has not got his yet. Was the suggestion I saw online, but. Who knows? People just making guesses is a thing. So they could all be yeah. vaccinated or
1: maybe none of them are. Who knows? Well, I saw Tom response to a direct question about that only about a week and a half ago. And uh, he gave a fairly evasive answer, which yeah. would suggest um, that he probably isn't vaccinated. I'm going to read between the lines there. It was very Novak Djokovic in the early stages of the Australian tennis drama. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you're, I mean, I take your point there in terms of, the disparity, this widening chasm between the NRL's policy on COVID, which I'm sure it had worked out months and months ago, um, you know, planning for a competition that couldn't be derailed, and where, for example, the New South Wales government is, which is with our Premier Perrottet essentially kind of trying to free the state up with gay abandon really early on in the piece. So that's sort of his, been his strategy very early on, but we're seeing it around the world. We're seeing... Governments in, in all, close to entire continents now um, scrapping restrictions for COVID, scrapping travel rules, um, getting rid of mask mandates, etc. So if I'm a betting man, I would suggest to you that at some stage during the season, the NRL will continue probably in stages to relax those protocols. It's probably too ballsy to do that pre-season after all yeah. of the work that's probably put into it. But I, I mean, there's only so long, I don't think it's tenable for the entire populace of australia to be le- leading relatively free lives and for nrl players to be restri- so restricted i just i probably don't see that um, as a plausible reality and as you said is it even the correct one if you know governments are saying this is where we're at now in the in the terms of the stage of the pandemic why would we hold you to a different standard
0: i mean i NRL players are used to being held to a different standard over certain things, but this would seem excessive in my opinion. I mean, I just want yeah. to put out the suggestion that maybe um, Dominic Perrottet is actually a you know a super genius and the best way to stop COVID spreading in, in Sydney was to stop the trains.
1: Well, that's right. I mean, that is a, a masterful move by the New South Wales government to decide um, in instances of great spread to say, well, you know what, we know what, how the virus gets around. It gets around on city rail. So, what we're going to do is we're going to shut down the fucking trains. And then we'll see what the virus does when it tries to get to Lydcombe, when it tries to get to Pinball from Central Station. It'll probably have to get an Uber. How many people can it infect in an Uber? Prop one, depends if you've got a maxi, four. Um, so, it is a good strategy. Um, I don't know if just blaming the whole thing on the unions was a great idea when it was, in fact, their decision to do it but um look duplicity is commonplace in state government and i I welcome the
0: decision i could suggest as well the whole you know covid mostly goes on trains you look at the northern beaches where there are no trains apart from that Mm. avalon outbreak where those silly women went around coughing on everyone and then saying oh we didn't know because we're white um Mm. basically apart from that you know isolated little period northern beaches has been much more covid free than the rest of sydney so i don't think that's a coincidence that the train there's no trains there
1: That's because you can't get out of that peninsula for love nor money, Mario. (laughs) I mean, have you ever tried to get to Brookvale from, say, Maroubra? I mean, it's a three-day Kentucky tour.
0: I've tried to avoid, you know, going south of Spitbridge for as much of my life as possible. Yeah, you classic northerner. That's exactly (laughs) right.
1: That's why people in the east always get tarnished with this hoity-toity image of having too much money. But we're just new money here, uh, Mario, in the east. You guys are old money. You, you live in castles that no one can ever visit. You, you live on peninsulas and islands that no one can get to. we just tradies who got rich in the building boom. You know We still go around pissing on lampposts and looking around for your TAB, which has been turned into a Commonwealth Bank ATM machine. That's an, a strange example, but that's what I'm sort of telling you. Very different cultures between... The, the roosters and the eagles. That was my thinly veiled attempt to take a stab at your club, basically is where I'm going with that. Um, and look, to your earlier point, you said there was a woman in, in Manly going around coughing on people. Um, why was she deliberately coughing on people? That's strange activity for a start, isn't it?
0: Oh, I'm exa- I'm exaggerating. It's just that the, basically everyone from Avalon is scum and they should all be ashamed of themselves and go fuck themselves. And that goes for everyone in Avalon. If you're listening, go fuck yourself. Mm. Because those old women that did that were indicative of what Avalon is and always has been, an absolute cesspool in the middle of God's garden, which is the Northern Beaches.
1: Well, I'm glad we distilled that conversation down to its intellectual roots, Mario. Thank you for that. Look, I wanted to to raise another one, uh, another story with you. Uh, It may be too controversial for a show like The Voluntary Tackle to Broach. Well, we'll find out. This may not make the final cut. Um, But you may have noticed that uh, one Greg Alexander uh, was quite severely roasted uh, for his particular coverage of the Indigenous All-Stars match. Now, he was roasted because, and I hope I don't do something hideously ironic and get this really badly wrong, um, for not pronouncing the word Māori properly. Um, He was saying Māori, which is, for the record, how lots of people in my age group were saying it when we were growing up. Clearly, we didn't know either um but because of the polynesian infusion in the game which has been wonderful for a variety of reasons we're now as a sport i guess more culturally aware of various pronunciations but i wanted to get your view on this as this podcast's incomparable man of letters and vowel sounds and certain consonants how did you see this one
0: I see. Slightly least white member of the voluntary tackle. <laughs> <laughs> I'm obviously the most qualified to vote on issues of race racism. Um, that's look, why I
1: deferred it to you, mate. I
0: I mean I grew up at, with a Kiwi mother saying Maori, so she you know she likes to say it the right way now because she wants to appear intellectual. But the reality is that's clearly not the case. What what I have a bit of a question over this. Why is – I get how we want to pronounce people's names properly. I do understand that. If Mm. people say, I want my name pronounced this way, to me, it's just good manners to pronounce it the correct way. Now, that being said, if someone with an Italian accent says, eh, 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 mana brown, then that's not the right way to say it, but it's the way they say it because of their accent. Now, what is – is it us just being ignorant – A white person, is it ignorance to say Maori or is it actually, it's almost like cultural appropriation to say Maori because that's not the way our accent works. You know, we've we've grown up with a word being pronounced this way. For example, we say in Australia, we mostly, unless you're from South Australia, say France. But of course, the proper way to say it is France or even Francais. So is that being racist for us to not say Francais? Because we can easily do that. It's simply a choice that we say France. So I'm, oh, I'm curious, what is the difference? I, I generally don't know. If someone is listening and they can tell us, what is the difference? What makes saying Maori bad and what makes saying France okay?
1: Mario, I'm right here, mate. I'm, I'm here to field your questions. As the resident linguist among us, I'm not one but I'll pretend to be for this moment in time. And I actually subscribe to a lot of what you're saying. And um, on the one hand, I think it is just, as you say, uh, polite manners to try and be accurate when it comes to pronouncing words of diff- various cultures and languages. But of course, it comes of its challenges. And that's not even just the cultural norms that you're talking about, like i.e. people being uh, entire countries potentially saying one word inverted commas the wrong way and that becomes enshrined in the vernacular of that particular country and of course the intention then isn't necessarily to be derogatory obviously it's it's just a cultural norm that's been trapped for generations and you end up just you know saying that word that particular way you've said francais versus france for example but i i know that i was saying chile instead of chile for yep. many years. I was saying um, Kiribati instead of Kiribati. Uh,
0: Kiribati is the one. correct one, I believe, now, but I, I used to oh, have God, two there f- you go. but I used to have two friends from that country that I used to play squash against, and they both told me they came from Kiribati. So is so- the
1: correct way Kiribati or Kiribati? Everyone seems to say
0: Kiribati now, so I'm not sure. I I learnt it as Kiribati, but now all I ever hear anyone saying is Kiribati. So I don't know which one's correct. I only know what two people from that country told me. They said Mm. they came from Kiribati. I mean, you look at countries like, say, Cote d'Ivoire, we always called it the Ivory Coast, and we just thought that the French called it Cote d'Ivoire, but now it's officially just called Cote d'Ivoire, and we don't call it the Ivory Coast anymore. Uh, but if yeah. you've got other places like, say, um, Naples in Italy, well, it's Napoli to people in Italy, or Rome versus Roma, Milano versus M- Milan, that, that, again, it's a matter of pronunciation. Is it, is it racially, uh, it, it, maybe not even insensitive, but just racially incorrect, whatever, to say it the way that we have always been taught to say it? And I don't know the answer to that question. I, I'd like someone yeah. who is an expert in this, if there's such a thing, to be
1: able to explain it. Look again, Murray. I hate to labour this point, but I'm here, mate. I'm here to, uh, <laughs> I'm here to explain your grievances. Um, you know, fill in the gaps of well, language or life or politics or whatever it may be. Sexual positions. I have a few extras you might want to hear about. I know you learned about a few pre-show. Um,
0: Demonstrate. Maybe put it on YouTube.
1: Uh, look it's well a lot of that stuff can't be done visually with one camera I would need three or four and look I won't go into it now Uh, mind you I have sent um, the hacksaw and the power drill to your address and I hope you have fun with that later but look to your point about uh, those norms I think again it comes down to intention for me and clearly uh, in Australian culture Maori has been as a nation basically we've been saying it now that again could be the complete wrong word. Well, I'm sure it is uh, when it comes to um, a Maori person, the wrong way of saying it. Uh, but intentions, I think, do matter. And I thought it was interesting. I'm going to bring this up live because just for his show, I was just looking about, because I think this all got kicked off by Isaac Luke, who was watching the Indigenous game at the time, who ended up having this sort of unfurling conversation on Twitter. And he was having a go at Brandy saying, look, let's get someone who can offence, uh, sorry, let's get someone who can commentate and actually say the word properly. And anyway, someone said to him, yeah, look, I agree with you, Isaac, but I'm sure Brandy meant no offence. To that, Isaac Lude said, I'm not too sure, to be honest. If he was to learn it, it's not that hard to say Mori You could learn it in an hour or two. The thing that got me is that he played for the Warriors and he's lived in New Zealand, so he would know what it sounds like and how it's meant to be said. So I thought, again, uh, it strikes me as a bit uncharitable to sort of, Ascribe motivation there to uh, Brandy being lazy. I'm sure he was just ignorant of it. But I'll tell you how hard it is. Before the show, I thought, you know what? I'm going to make sure I go on uh, this show and not make a complete ass of myself in the in the really bad way. Um, and I'll go on and see what Dr. Google says.
0: Maori. 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 Yeah, it sounded like Maori, didn't it?
1: Yeah. So it's kind of telling me to say Maori, and I went, oh, okay, maybe just Google's wrong. So what's the first YouTube result? So I bring up the first YouTube clip. We are looking at how to pronounce the name of the indigenous Polynesian people of New Zealand, this isolated island in the Pacific Ocean. How do you go about pronouncing their name? Well, the natural indigenous way to say it would be Maori. Maori, that's how themselves, the Maoris, would say it in New Zealand, Maori. But in English, in New Zealand, in Kiwi, or in English or American, you would normally
0: say Maori, Maori, Maori people. That sounded closer to how Isaac Luke says it, but still sort of in between.
1: So yeah, I went and watched three or four videos, and my point being, there was disparity between all four of them. so if we think for a second that this is something that's really easy for one culture to learn the nuances in an hour then i think we're being a not very charitable and a bit cavalier about linguistics because it's a it's a really complicated business language particularly when it comes from you know the differences between ancient cultures and and cult and other cultures that don't have a lot to do with each other in time um, as opposed to, you know, the romantic languages which have commonality, for example. So just from a pure linguistic point of view, I think there's some compassion case to be made.
0: But the, the other question the other question, really is, okay, we're yeah. expecting Greg Alexander, sorry, for example, sorry. Sorry, we're expecting Greg Alexander, for example, to spend an hour learning how to pronounce this one word. And let's say you can learn it, assuming that it was clear-cut and not four different ways, like you said, Assuming it was clear-cut, it wouldn't take an hour. It might take five minutes of practice. Now, that being said, we're expecting the commentators to do that. These are seriously the same commentary team that employs Braith and Aster. These are people who mostly don't watch the games apart from the one they're commentating on. Certainly the people doing Dally M votes, most of them don't watch the games they're they're, they're voting on, very clearly based on some of those votes. that They... they They don't have any idea of any players coming through because they don't watch lower grades. They don't do any research whatsoever. So I'm not sure why we're realistically expecting Greg Alexander to do any particular research on one um, word, albeit an important word, but why would we actually expect him to do that when there's clearly no accountability in Fox, Fox Sport to make anyone do any research or any preparation for their job.
1: It almost sounds like you're making the argument against Brandy, though, in a way there, right? Because one example is clearly within the commentator's job description. They shouldn't be aware yes. of who's playing the game, for example, and have proper analysis. Um, but there, there's probably a little bit more nuance and um, and difficulty in in moving from culture to culture particularly when it's to do with languages that are particularly close to your native language, for example. Um, but I, I hear what you're saying there's a low standard there at some particular networks and broadcasters and we probably shouldn't be surprised I suppose is your point And I guess just to add to that, we have a guy running the game named Peter Ferlandiss who can't pronounce the sport properly, calls it rugby league, for example. Um, He doesn't get chastised enough for that. Uh, But look, just to furnish you with a personal example, it just dawns on me. Um, I had a very similar moment uh, growing up, actually. One of my good mates growing up was Polish. And he moved to uh, the country, I think, when he was eight or nine. So, you know, he didn't particularly talk about his Polish roots very much. But, you know, I used to ask about it from time to time because I was genuinely curious and interested and anyway, his name was Greslak. And uh, he said to me, uh, again, after 10 years of me knowing him, said, You know, it's actually not pronounced like that. And I went, Oh, it's not? How is it pronounced? He goes, Oh, it's Jolac. And yeah. I went, Oh, man, I'm, I'm sorry. I had no idea. I've been calling you Greslak the whole time. That's nothing like Jolac. And he went, No, 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 Jolac. And I went, Yeah, Jolac. And this went back and forth five or six times. He goes, and he was getting angrier over time. He goes, no, 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 Jolak. And I was trying my hardest, Mario, I promised to get this right. And to my ear, I was hearing exactly the same thing as he was saying. So out of sheer exasperation, he turned to my other mate who was with us and he said, can you believe this guy? He can't say Jolak. And my mate went, yeah, it's Jolak. My Polish mate went, see, how hard was that? So from to, to my ear... All I'd heard was the same thing repeated over and over and over again. And my point being that, you know, if you're not a native born to a particular language, your ear can actually hear different things. And I went and looked it up. from On the back of that incident, I went and investigated that because I thought, what happened there? How come my mate was hearing something completely different to what I was hearing? And apparently, you know, in especially in that learning phase of cognition when you're younger, the way you actually hear language over time, can be different from culture to culture, depending on the neural pathways that develop. I thought it was pretty fascinating, actually, um, from a language point of view, but it might explain some of the controversy that we're probably talking about here today. Look, the TVT, it's what it does, Mario. It courts controversy um i don't know if you remember we've said so many controversial things on the show before look i could mention a few of them just off the top of my head where uh, I we wanted a whole team full of serial killers to be admitted into the nrl we thought just for one season we're not absolute monsters uh, but you know we got a lot of flack over that and we thought not not the really bad ones not the malats just the the double murderers that didn't seem to appease anyone um so it, what i'm saying is this isn't this isn't new territory for us it's something that we do on a regular basis and if You have just happened to stumble upon this show tonight or this evening or early in the morning, wherever you're listening to it. It's a podcast. Don't get obsessed with the time. We hope you stick around because we will broach these controversial topics from time to time. And um, every fourth or fifth episode, Mario will say something quite racist. So you should hang in for that too.
0: That sounds like a challenge I should, I I don't know (laughs) if I should accept or not.
1: (laughs) No, mate, you're not racist at all, for the record. You're very woke, if anything. Look, we did have other topics here uh, to tackle that I've got open as tabs, Mario, but I think the time's gotten to us, mate. I should say to prospective listeners that we will be doing a proper pre-season show where we do some review of the teams going into the 2022 season. We'll have our colleague back, Xander Rosotto, in that time. But before that, so takes place, Mario, do you have any final thoughts for our listeners?
0: Um, I'm excited about the NRLW being about to start. Um, I, I can't really pick a team with mine not involved, but I'm sort of somewhere between Knights and Parramatta as the teams I'm least offended by their existence. Mm-hmm. Um, but
1: when, when, Can you tell me a little bit about in terms of when that kicks off and the duration of the oh, season? Look, I
0: could be wrong, but I think it's this Friday night because they've, they've named team lists um, just yesterday.
1: Great stuff, and 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 will it run for what the first third of the season? I know they're looking to to lengthen. Yeah, well, up.
0: they've got the extra teams this year, and so they'll be playing. You know, I guess it must be five weeks, and then two or three weeks of finals. I don't know those exact details. I've not, I've not. You just don't see enough of it. Like I, I tend to know half of what I know just from chatting about it on Twitter, and there's not been as much NRLW mm. chatters you might like, apart from just people frothing over Millie Boyle a lot of the time. Um but
1: do you think the N- the NRL is doing a good enough job promoting it?
0: I don't I don't think they do and I don't think they do quite enough. There's certainly been a bit you look you look on Twitter I've seen a few posts from the NRL um, account you know talking about it a little bit but I I'd, I'd like there to be a little more than there has been but, but it, I don't know I mean maybe the podcast that I've been listening to I haven't talked about it and, and as much yet as well and that might come this week there might be a bit more. Excitement about it getting started, but hopefully it's going to. Mm. You know, the the issue I have is that the the talent pool hasn't um spread out as much as we'd like. You know, the idea of bringing in a, a Titans team to to try and take away some of the Brisbane players, and in the end, they got basically none of them. Brisbane pretty much kept most of their team together, so they're, they're looking very mm. strong again. But you know, the, these extra teams, Parramatta, Newcastle, yeah, you know, there's mm. yeah, you know, there's certainly some interest in there for a few extra fans of clubs where they might have thought, I'm not sure what to do, but now that's a bigger fan base they're appealing to potentially.
1: Yeah, and I I hear that. I've heard about the Titans' desperate plight. In fact, I heard they're actually so desperate they're looking to recruit Brendan Elliott. So things are very dire there um, at the NRLW Titans team. And look, when I threw that out there as a final thought comment, Mario, I didn't really think you'd take the the bone and really give a legitimate topic there we could we could have really got into the cut and thrust of that one but there is we are running out of time i'm getting quite sleepy and drunk so we must call it a night but we will pick that up another time thank you tvt listeners for joining mario and eamon for discussions on the randomness and the aggressiveness and sometimes the weird nazi politics of rugby league until next time just do what craig mclaughlin would do and sniff a fellow actress's hair and blame it on creative license. See you next time.